Over the last month or so, we have been uh, seeing many stories like this uh, from among church planters that uh, partner with and are supported by the Southern Baptist Convention, of which our church uh, is a cooperating partner. Uh, every year around Easter, we uh, give to a special offering called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. Annie Armstrong was a lady who lived a long time ago who made it her life's mission to write letters uh, of encouragement to church planters and pastors uh, to encourage them to, to keep on going. And, uh, and so this offering has been named in, in, uh, in her honor. And so, uh, church family, as you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, know that your, work go, uh, your, your gifts go to support the work of church planters like these that we have seen. Uh, this morning, as uh, you've come to worship with us, you may have uh, planned or made intention to uh, give a financial gift to the work of the gospel here in this church as a part of your worship today, uh, giving to God out of His abundant provision to you, and uh, we are glad to receive that gift and to use it for gospel work here. Uh, I encourage you to use the envelopes that are in the seat back pocket of the seat in front of you. There's some with the uh, uh, generic giving envelopes that are there with a the blue uh, border around them, or you can use one of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering envelopes. Uh, any gift that's put in one of those Annie Armstrong envelopes, it's white with blue letters, kind of like that, uh, will go directly to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, and so just know that as you give. If you'd like to give uh, online, you can do that as well through our website, fbcwa.org forward slash give. Uh, let's pray together as we continue in worship this morning. Our mighty Father in heaven, on this Easter Sunday, may we worship you with all joy for the greatness of your power and salvation. We ask that you would be great and be glorious among us, even as we praise you. O risen Christ, we exalt your name, Jesus, above every other name. For you conquered sin by dying for sins, and you reign in power over death by being raised from the dead. Raised not merely figuratively, not merely symbolically, but physically, historically, so that the salvation you offer might not merely be figurative or symbolic, but real and certain. Holy God, we come to you confessing again our sins that we might receive forgiveness and grace to walk in holiness before you. We have lived as kings and queens of our own lives, traitors to you, the only king of the universe. We have charted and attempted to command the direction of our ways, rebelling against your good will for us. As we recognize our sin... So we recognize our need to be forgiven, and we lay ourselves in submission and humility before you with all faith in the person and work of Jesus, that that need for forgiveness might be met. Thank you, God, for the assurance of pardon that we have when we confess our sins and trust Christ as Lord. Today, Lord Jesus, your church will meet in various places and times and ways, all to bring glory to your name. And we thank you that you have given your people a home and a family among other believers in the church. Our prayer today for, is for churches all across our city that they would proclaim the gospel with all hope and joy for a watching world to see and know. Let us do so in this place too. And God, I pray for us here in this room today, asking that you would attend our worship in power and confidence that you would give us by your word and through the Holy Spirit. Rightly direct our thoughts and our affections to highlight your incomparable majesty. And in your grace, help us to see with eyes of faith and respond in loving obedience to you. Father, this morning, what we have not, give us by your word. Holy Spirit, what we know not, by your word, teach us. Lord Jesus, what we are not, through your word, make us to be. We ask in your name, our risen Christ. Amen. 
I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and uh, open it to uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be uh, reading in a moment verses 1 through 5, but we'll be focusing uh, especially on verses 4 and 5 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov once said, If in the first act of a play you have hung a pistol on the wall, then in the following one it should be fired. Otherwise, don't put it there. Anton Chekhov, great playwright, understood that everything in a scene of a play matters. Every detail is, is playing to the ultimate climax of the story. And if you put a gun on the wall or a gun on the table in act one, that gun better go off by, at least by act three before the play is over. The resurrection of Jesus, where 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a gunshot that rings throughout all history. And yet, startling as it is, we're not meant to be surprised by his rising. For it happened as it was meant to in God's divine authorship of our redemption. There is, as we'll see this morning, beginning from 1 Corinthians 15, but then surveying a number of, script, uh, number of passages throughout the scriptures, we will see this morning a resurrection gun hung on the walls of the Old Testament that is fired in climactic fashion in Christ's own raising on that first Easter Sunday. God has not raised Jesus from the dead up out of nowhere. He planned it, he intended it, and he gave all sorts of clues and pointings to the fact that it would happen. Right. I invite you to stand uh, with me as you're comfortably able, as we honor God by reading his word, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. This was part, partly our focal text in our Good Friday service, and we'll now uh, conclude it this morning. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, sometime around the year A.D. 55, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This is God's word. You may be seated. The main idea that comes to us this morning is similar to the main idea of uh, uh, the, the passage that we looked at, or verses 3 uh, and 4 that we looked at on Good Friday, and it is this. That as Paul says, Jesus Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, uh, we know and understand that what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as the scriptures said he would and as the scriptures said he must. We saw on Friday that Jesus died for sins as the scriptures said he would and as they said he must. And now this morning we see and affirm with Paul that Jesus was raised from the dead as the scriptures said he would and as, he said that, and as they said that he must be. When Paul says that Jesus was raised according to the scriptures, what he is saying is the Old Testament scriptures, because those are the scriptures that Paul had at his disposal. He, he was in the middle of you know, being inspired to write much of the New Testament and the New Testament didn't quite exist as a library of books yet in Paul's own day. So the scriptures that he's speaking about are the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is that Christ's death for sins and resurrection 
was already introduced to us in the scriptures that we already have. And, and because he is raised from the dead, we can affirm what all that the scriptures say about him. Let's look at the first part of that main idea today, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as the scriptures said he would. This is a verity, Paul says. This is a truth. Christ was raised like God said in the scriptures he would be. Well, where do we see Jesus being, uh, or, or the idea of Christ being raised from the dead, where do we see it in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, we see it in a number of ways. We'll look at three this morning. First, we see that David, the king of Israel, prophesied it. David, the king of Israel, prophesied Christ's resurrection. In the very first Christian sermon, about 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to many, Peter, the apostle of Jesus, preaches on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And at the close, or near the close of that first Christian sermon at Pentecost, Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 28. He says, men of Israel, he's preaching in Jerusalem, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and then Peter cites Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, saying, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. The Apostle Peter inciting Psalm 16, a psalm attributed to David the king, is plainly saying that David the king, a thousand years before Jesus was born, spoke prophetically through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this psalm about the Holy One of God who would die, but whose body would not be left in the grave. David's body remained in a tomb. His bones were there in a grave, even to the day of Peter's preaching, but not Christ's body. His tomb was empty. Christ had been risen just weeks before Peter preached this sermon. And Peter is saying to those who hear it on that first day, friends, scripture has told us this would happen. This Jesus we proclaim to you is that holy one of God who died but did not remain that way. His resurrection happened as the scriptures said that it would. David prophesied it. Jonah, the prophet, the great prophet of the people of Israel, his life pointed to the resurrection. You know about Jonah, that Old Testament prophet called by God to go to Nineveh to preach against it and its sinful ways. Jonah, who refused the Lord's call and ran the opposite direction, went down uh, to a boat to go down to Tarshish, and he went down inside the boat to go to sleep, and then he went down into the sea and was swallowed by a great fish that the Lord appointed to him. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 verse 10 of Jonah says, And the uh, Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's life points to the resurrection. Here's how. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, 
Jesus is speaking with some scribes and Pharisees. These are people who are steadfastly determined to oppose Jesus and all that he is doing. And in Matthew 12, verse 38, we read this. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Do, do some wonderful power of, of spiritual uh, miraculousness that we might believe what you're saying. We read in Matthew 12, 39, But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they have repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah's life pointed to the Messiah's resurrection. Jesus himself, before his arrest and crucifixion, told the Pharisees who were trying to bait him into giving them some sign to prove that he had authority to challenge their grip on the religious order in the way that they had. To them, Jesus says, the only confirmation you'll get, the only sign you'll get from me is my resurrection. And by the way, it will be like something you've seen before. Not, any, not like anything out of nowhere, but in a pattern of the way that God has worked among his chosen servants in the past. The same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth three days, three nights, and then be raised again. The life and events of Jonah are not just about Jonah, friends. Rather, they're setting a pattern for Jesus' resurrection. Jonah's time in the belly of the fish being there as good as dead will prefigure Jesus' time in the heart of the earth, being truly dead before being thrust back to life in glorious manner, never to die again. Amen. Jesus was raised from the dead as the scripture said he would be. David prophesied it. Jonah's life points to it. But we see also in the life of Hosea, another of God's prophets, God setting a pattern for it in the past. Hosea, a prophet to God's people, calling them to repentance of sin and faithfulness and righteousness and, and, and following God rightly, speaks a hard word of uh, repentance to the people of Israel, a word that ultimately they do not necessarily receive and end up going off into exile uh, in a, uh, to a foreign nation, Babylon. But God, as He is speaking through His prophet Hosea, uh, inspires Hosea to write these words. Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the prophet says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Understand this morning, Scripture sees God's plan unfolding all throughout the Old Testament through the expansion of ever more detailed themes. In this way, the theme of the exodus from slavery in Egypt is repeated in the exodus from exile in Babylon and then repeated in Christ leading a host of captives to sin into a life of freedom through forgiveness. So also God's promise of deliverance of the people in Hosea's day to be revived on the third day is, uh, be, is pictured as being physically revived in Hosea 6.2, like being sick, being tired, being worn out, but then after three days rejuvenated. 
This picture of physical rejuvenation is fulfilled in Christ, who is himself the better Israel, the fulfillment of all of God's promises to his people, who is not just rejuvenated on the third day, but literally resurrected from the dead on the third day. Jesus was raised according to the scriptures, Paul says, as as the scriptures said that he would be. There's a resurrection gun hanging on the wall in the Old Testament, and it has fired in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, because Jesus was raised, as the scriptures said he would, in these three ways, David prophesying prophesying it, Jonah's life pointing to it, a pattern set throughout the Old Testament, we can trust what the scriptures say about who he is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his resurrection, while astonishing, while startling, was never meant to be a surprise. God's people should have seen it coming. The scripture said the Messiah would die for sins. And on that first Good Friday, he did. But they also said that death would not be the end for him. And death certainly was not the end for Jesus. You can trust, friends, these scriptures that we have and hold in our laps. And not just the New Testament, but all of these scriptures. Because all that we have of Christ in the New Testament goes to verify and validate the promises of God in the First Testament. The resurrection is just one more exultant example that all that God intends to do in rescuing a people for himself is going according to plan. And if he can make good on the promise and expectation to raise his son, his holy one from the dead, how much more will he make good on the promise to save you from sin if you trust in him? Jesus was raised from the dead according to the scriptures, the way the scriptures said he would. But even more so, Jesus was raised from the dead as the scriptures said he must. The Old Testament is not just laying out a plan uh, uh, and giving clues to help us know that Jesus would be raised from the dead, that this would happen, but it's also demonstrating uh, to us that it must happen, that this is God's plan. And if Christ is not raised, God's plan does not come to fruition. He must be raised from the dead, and the Old Testament helps us to understand this too. It's one thing to say that Jesus would rise from the dead and that he did. That's a matter of historical observation. But it's another thing altogether to say Jesus must rise, that it was necessary for him to be raised. Why, we ask, was it necessary for Christ to be raised according to the scriptures, the way that Paul reminds the church at Corinth was the case? Well, first of all, Christ, the Messiah, must be raised from the dead in order to enjoy the fruit of his saving work. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 11 and 12 says this. Isaiah the prophet prophesying about 700 years before Jesus. He says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This passage in Isaiah 53, 11 and 12 closes what we call the servant song of Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. 
Earlier in that song, we read part of it on Good Friday, the prophet Isaiah speaks of a divine servant of God, this suffering servant, who will give his life in the place of sinners and for their sin. These verses in Isaiah 53, 11 and 12, repeat that same idea. We get the same theme coming through. This servant dies for sins and for sinners. But here at the end of the servant's song, the suffering servant's song, we have this promise that the servant who dies will see and be satisfied, and that he will receive from God an inheritance that he will share with others because he poured his soul out even to death. Now, this passage doesn't say explicitly, but it ever so strongly implies that death is not the end for this servant who suffers for the sins of many. For what servant, what dead servant can see the work of his hand and be satisfied? What dead individual may receive a portion from God to disperse at his discretion? Usually inheritances come from the living to the dead, not from the living to the living. What dead deliverer can make intercession? What dead deliverer can mediate to God on behalf of sinners? Certainly no dead one can do this. Death must not be the end for the suffering servant. The New Testament author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7 verses 23 through 25, he says, the former priests who interceded for the people were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus must be raised to fulfill what was spoken of the suffering servant that he would look on his finished work in the place of sinners, be vindicated by God, and then live forever to bring sinners to be right with God by continually standing in their place as the sacrifice once for all offered for sins. The Old Testament, the Scriptures, say that Jesus must rise from the dead so that he can see the fulfillment, the fruit of his saving work for sinners. But also... We learn that the Christ must be raised according to the scriptures. He must be raised from the dead in order to reign over an eternal kingdom. Continuing in the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 55, verse 3, the prophet says again in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now bear with me a moment. Isaiah chapter 55 is an oracle from God, a word from God through his prophet that comes as an invitation to all who will hear his word to receive it, to believe on the Lord, to turn from their sins and be saved. Isaiah 55 is an invitation to hear God's word and respond. In Acts chapter 13, Paul, the apostle, finds himself on an early stop in his first ever missionary journey in a place called Antioch in a region called Pisidia. And there, Paul is reasoning with the Jews in the synagogues from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, explaining to them that Jesus is the Messiah that they had long waited for. And that because this Jesus was crucified for sins and raised from the dead, those who believe in him will receive the blessings of David the king the way Isaiah 55 verse 3 promised. Now the promise, the covenant to David the king comes to us in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It is a a promise from God to David of an everlasting kingdom that his son will reign over. 
that his, a son of David will sit on the throne forever. Now that promise was not fulfilled in David's son, Solomon. He died. The kingdom was split in two. There's kingdom of Israel in the north, kingdom of Judah in the south, and all those kings of those two places lived and died. So where is the promise of this eternal king and the kingdom that comes with it? An everlasting kingdom needs an everlasting king, a king who does not die, cannot die, will not die, will raise from the dead. God's faithfulness to his people and to this promise to, the, to David the king comes through Jesus, who is himself the incorruptible king and messiah. He is the one who brings blessings to the people as the eternal, perfect, promised king in the line of David. He's the one that brings all the blessings of that kingdom to those who are in it. Paul argues in Acts 13, using Isaiah 55, that Jesus must be raised from the dead because he is that promised eternal king, son of David. And as the Messiah, Jesus must be alive to receive that everlasting kingdom. And consequently, because Jesus is that risen king, he also gives the blessing of kingdom citizenship and all that comes with it to everyone who hears the gospel of his death for sins, his resurrection from the dead, who believes it and turns to him for forgiveness. Paul says Jesus is that king that Isaiah prophesied and with him and with his kingdom come all the blessings of God that God promised to David and to his offspring. All of it is to those who are in Christ because Jesus was raised as the scripture said he must. Dear friends, we can trust what the scripture says about what his death and resurrection has accomplished for us. His death really did pay for sins. His resurrection really does prove that he is divine, the son of God in human flesh. He really is, because he is raised, king of kings and lord of lords, the everlasting king of God's covenant people. And what's more, because he is raised, we really do have hope of being raised also. In the same chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 22, Paul reminds the church at Corinth this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is pointless, Paul says. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ will have perished. There's no hope for those who have died if Christ has not been raised. Verse 19, Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are, of, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam the first man all die, so also in Christ the second Adam shall all be made alive. Because Jesus was raised the way the scriptures said he would and as he must, not only can we say that he has been raised from the dead, but we also have hope that we might also be raised from the dead if our lives are united to him by faith. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ died for sins, yours and mine, the big ones and the so-called little ones. He died for them all. As the scripture said that he would, and as the scripture said he must. And he was buried. And then, in glorious fashion, he was raised on the third day. 
to prove his victory over sin and death, to prove that he is that eternal king in the line of David to rule over an everlasting kingdom and with it to bring all the blessings of that kingdom to those who are in it. And he did so as the scriptures said he would. And he was raised as the scriptures said he must be. Brothers and sisters, because Christ lives, his work to secure your forgiveness of sin is complete. There is nothing you need to do but trust him. Because he is risen, he has defeated death forever. It is not our final enemy. He has even put death under his feet. Because Jesus is not in the tomb, he is vindicated. He is validated as the only Savior and righteous King, not just of your heart and your life, but also over the cosmos. And as he lives, even now, he calls in loving care to everyone who hears to find life to find salvation, to find purpose, to find hope and grace in Him and Him only. Because He lives, not only can we face tomorrow, but friends, we have a tomorrow. And a tomorrow after that, and after that, and after that, for a billion, billion years, and then some. Because Christ was raised from the dead, the way the Scriptures said He would, and the way the Scriptures said that He must. My question to you this morning is simply this. Do you know this risen king? Have you trusted him in his death for your sins? And none of your own righteousness, but only in him, the perfect sinless sacrifice given in your place. Have you trusted his work on the cross? Have you trusted his work in being raised from the dead to put death to death and an end to sin for all who would trust in him? Do you know him? Has your life been changed by him? Have you been, as Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, have you been born again by trusting in him? We know that his death and resurrection is according to God's plan. It's also according to God's love. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that God shows his love for us in this way. That he sends his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have life through faith in his name? If not yet, friend, today may be the day for salvation, a day of salvation for you. You can trust Christ today. There's literally nothing holding you back except perhaps the pride of your own heart. To receive Christ as Lord, to know the salvation, the life that he promises, to have hope of eternal life and resurrection from the dead, you need only in your own heart, in your own way, there's no magic words to say, but in your own heart, in your own way, turn from living life on your own terms according to your own plans and your own desires, and and repent, turn from that to trust God, to trust His Son, Jesus Christ, who died the death death for sins that you deserve, and who was raised even in your place to give you the promised hope of resurrection and being right with God. Give your life to Christ today. Know the hope of the risen Savior by trusting Him. In just a couple of moments, we'll sing a song of of response and responsive worship. And I I invite you, If during this time you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, uh, come even as we're singing and meet with me down here at the front. Let's talk uh, or at least begin a conversation about how you can start following Jesus in faith today as your risen Savior. But let today be the day of salvation for you. Christian, you who know the glorious hope that Christ has been raised the way that God's word said he would and as he must, let your voice ring out in glorious worship of him, our risen Savior, who we praise today. Let's pray.